If you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward taxpayer investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. And today we have on the podcast a friend and a partner of ours uh, going on a, a few years now, Kevin Chafin. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks, uh, BJ. It's great to be here. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm excited. Uh, what I'm most excited, our audience kind of is, is this uh, broad base of junior to executive, uh, some military, some, uh, some former military, some government, some private, and some small business, some large business. And I think you're the first guest that checks almost every block of our audience. So uh, the perspective you're going to bring, you're currently the senior vice president and federal market sector leader for Trans Systems out of Charleston, South Carolina, correct? That's right. And um, you've been there since January. But what's most interesting to all of us is what got you from where you started to where you are now? Yeah, what a long, strange trip it's been, right? Um, <laughs> I, I think you and I, Matt, you and I, uh, have been introduced and reintroduced now by Matt Handel, our, our good friend, and uh, you know Brian Peeplow originally introduced us probably eight to ten years ago. So it's a, it's definitely a small, small world. So yeah, I, you know, it is a, it is a weird uh, track that I've been on. I was uh, you know, born in rural West Virginia. A really cold country, uh, and always wanted to be an architect. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day, and I was like, uh, "When was the first time you met an architect?" I was like, "Probably when I went to college," which is very strange uh, for somebody that you know has done this literally since they were eight year old. I, I joke all the time that uh, I was doing design build since I was eight. You know, building forts in the woods, tree houses, cabins. I you know build something in the summer and stay in it all summer. Uh, I took drafting classes in high school and, and math, knowing, you know, hey, that's exactly what I wanted to do, but also knew that my parents couldn't afford to send me to college. Uh, so I joined the Air Force. Uh, you know, I, I joke all the time. I joined the Air Force to see the world. I got as far as Charleston, South Carolina and said, you know, this is not a bad spot. Uh, so I, I've stayed here since then. But uh, I joined the Air Force, went in, open general, as uh, all smart people do, right? I uh, didn't know where they would put me, um, but they actually put me in the medical field, uh, which was a very strange place for me because I hated it. <laughs> I completely hated medical uh, because I did. I knew what I wanted to do. It's crazy. True story. I actually took my drafting drawings to basic training. I'm convinced that some tech sergeant somewhere has my drafting uh, uh, portfolio and they're, they're holding it in some storage locker at Lackland. But uh, got, got in the military and I, I really uh, loved the military, hated my job. And so uh, when I got out, I got out, uh, went GI Bill, stayed in the reserves for a number of years. Um, but uh, it wasn't quite as generous. Uh, the GI Bill wasn't quite as generous as it is now. Um, but I went to Savannah College of Art and Design and got a, got a master's degree in architecture. And so 
getting out gave me a completely different perspective than than most people even my age just because I had joined you know enlisted and then came came back and looking at uh, the uh, architecture side of things so you know I started going to work for a small architectural sole proprietor in Orangeburg South Carolina not a whole lot of progressive architecture going on in Orangeburg South Carolina as you can imagine but I worked on the drawing board for the first couple of years and, and finally convinced the almost 70-year-old architect I was working with that he really needed to invest in this little product called AutoCAD. And so <laughs> we, we transitioned uh, to, to AutoCAD there and, uh, you know, great place to work, but really I, I needed to be in some larger settings. So a couple of couple of good, good places that I've worked, uh, worked in downtown Charleston doing hotels, restaurants, and private res, uh, residences and uh, it was really a great great place to be during the uh, early to mid 90s uh, but it it really didn't pay the bills and so I ended up making my way eventually to NAFAC in 2001 after after a short uh, stint uh, you know of, of working in a couple of other different places uh, and we really NAFAC at the time was a really unique place and I was in southern division at the time uh, we were doing some really amazing projects and, and some really cool things literally around the world. And so I uh, really didn't expect BRAC to come along, <laughs> you know, at least not to hit me. And uh, when it moved to Jacksonville, I had the opportunity to move over to a small business and, and really get in on the ground floor of, of helping start and run a small business. And so uh, it was there that, you know, I, I kind of developed uh, not only architecture there, but also some marketing and, and business development skills that I kind of uh, kind of grew out of the necessity of, of having to win work, right? And so um, we were, you know, on one day I was at uh, at NAFAC, the next day I was marketing in NAFAC. And so it, it, it just kind of developed that way. And so after that firm got acquired by a large national firm, I had the opportunity uh, to, to go and do the exact same thing and grow another architecture firm inside an engineering firm. And so, uh, you know, we did that uh, and uh, it was a really good opportunity to do that. So, as BJ, as you know, when you're in a small business, you wear a bunch of hats, right? So, <laughs> it's uh, in addition to architecture, I was doing PM work, program management work, managing a group, all tr while trying to get the, the work in the door and as I said, I'd taken over some of the marketing groups when I was uh, early in my career and really realized that that's where I provided the most benefit to the companies that I was serving. And, and uh, honestly, it's not very hard to uh, to market some of the great firms that I worked with. It was a really good, good experience for me. And I found out that while I was an OK architect, I was a much better marketer. And so I really found my niche and uh, I really focused on uh, working with and building winning teams and found out that partnering was really something I was I was pretty good at. And, and really, it's how my whole career has kind of developed. And so, you know, I, I did that for a small business for a while and then uh, moved over to a large business uh, with Stanley Consultants, worked there uh, for a while and uh, led their Navy program worldwide, doing some really great Milcon projects and, you know, diverse locations uh, such as Iceland, Italy, Spain, and Guam. And 
and honestly thought, hey, this is a pretty good gig. I think I'm going to stay here forever. But uh, Trans Systems came calling, uh, as you said, in, in early December, and it was really a, an opportunity for me to build again. It was really an opportunity for me to grow and to, uh, to kind of take over a federal market that, um, you know, has been established for a number of years. It's got a great culture, and uh, we have a, a great federal program. But they were looking to really go to that next level and, and had the financing and the leadership group that wanted to build on the federal market. And so um, moved over in January, and we're already off and growing um, and building off of those past successes. Uh, so uh, like everybody right now, we're extremely busy and looking for more people to join us. So. The market is hot right now. Couple clarifying questions. So, how how what what was it that made you know when you were a kid that you wanted to be an architect? Like you know, I really that's a great question, and I really don't know. And everybody's asked me. I I, I joke that it's uh, I watch too much of the Brady Bunch, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, I I really did. I knew that I wanted to build. I knew that I wanted to design. I'd spent you know. Uh, time with construction teams, times with, uh, you know, just drawing up things in my, in just in my free time. And so it's something I always knew what I wanted to do. And so when people say, ah, I don't know what I want to do with my life, it's, it's hard for me to even, uh, you know, comprehend that because it's what I, what I knew since my earliest memories. And then you're early on before, before you joined Lindbergh, um, well, actually, before you went to NAFAC, you said that you were uh, doing some hospitality and residential in, in yeah. South Carolina. Um, what were some of the lessons you learned in that early experience? Well, the, the biggest lesson was that uh, it's really hard as an intern architect to make a living, right? <laughs> so uh, when the opportunity came, I was able to uh, mm. I was able to use that experience and you know it's a much faster pace than what the government world at the time was right we had uh, a lot of major construction going on in downtown charleston large hotels where time is money and so i was able to kind of utilize some of that experience in order to uh, be able to to bring that to even nafac at the time and uh, you know do some strange projects you know NAFAC has some great projects, but doesn't always have the greatest budgets. And so we were able to, uh, myself and an, another fellow architect came in from the outside there, uh, who eventually became my partner for some 25 years. Uh, and we were able to kind of take what they they had and, and kind of put it through a commercial lens and be able to, to help kind of make some changes there, um, even at NAFAC in those days. So, I mean, I was curious how that was going to be answered. And, and for the audience, this was not a plant. But one of the things that we were trying to do with the podcast is we open up with if you're an entrepreneurial public servant. And to us, that's all about uh, bringing one, a, a, a sense of urgency two a sense of creativity to, to solve problems and, and keep the thing moving despite all of the, the hurdles and obstacles that are thrown at, thrown at us. Um, so I was curious how you were able to apply that into the NAVFAC role um, and, and if there's any in particular lesson learned during that time um, that you could share with us. Yeah, I think, um, as I said, the, the big one 
was that, you know, when you're involved in government work, there are a lot of, a uh, lot of red tape, a lot of, uh, I, I say all the time, the government likes to hit things with big hammers, right? That's what we do is we hit things with big hammers. Um, and, and so that was probably the hardest thing for us because going through the commercial market, you know, you can you can fly through design build projects, right? There's, you know, you can put together a set of drawings and do things in four or five pages that you can't do uh, with the government. And so whenever we started developing, I'll give an, an example, is whenever we just developed the NAFAC RFP process, uh, we were able to kind of start bringing some of that thought process in because the government still wanted to be very entrepreneurial and not take things away from the design builders or the architects. We wanted people to, to provide that capability and that capacity in order to, uh, to give us great projects. Uh, but it is difficult for the government sometimes to get out of our own way, right? There, there's a lot of times where we have to, you know, there's a lot of, uh, of regulations, a lot of, uh, as I said, lessons learned from the past that we rely on very, very heavily in doing that. But we were able to take some of those things and put them into the RFP process and, and kind of develop a standardized RFP process where, you know, it was not great, but it was still better than what it was when, when we got there. And so uh, hopefully that helped. Continuous improvement, right? Absolutely. So give us the quick 30-second commercial on Trans Systems. Sure. Yeah, Trans Systems is, uh, as I said, a great national firm. We've worked together. Uh, I, I worked with them when I was at NAFAC 20 years ago. So they they've got a good long history and a good reputation. Uh, full service A and E firm. When you hear the name Trans Systems, you probably think transportation because we do a lot of transportation work all over the country. But uh, we do so much more than that. We're doing uh, quite a few projects uh, for Camp Lejeune right now in the hurricane rebuild there for Hurricane Florence. We're doing projects on the West Coast and even uh, some projects in Italy. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you've had a long career. Um, you've, you've seen kind of all sides of the industry, big, small, uh, public, private. Outside of, you know, finding your way towards uh, the marketing side and, and growth and, and building business, um, What's what's a leadership and or project uh, lesson learned or challenge that that you can share with us? Yeah, BJ, I, I, it's a great question, and and you know, I really do believe that the key to all of my success and any company that I've ever been a part of is building on great partnerships, um, both internally and externally. You know, I kind of mentioned it when I was at NAFAC. It was partnering with my colleagues there inside of NAVFAC, uh, you know, that, that kind of set me up for success. Um, even even today, I'm still working with some of those same people. Um, and it's, it's because not only did we partner well together, but we performed, right? So you have, to, you have to perform the work and there's no excuses. You know, you have to take care of your people, uh, both internal and external. But you build that level of trust in doing what you, you say you're going to do. And this helped me when I got into private practice. It's what how I built my team. Again, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I, I hired a number of people and 
NAFAC moved to Jacksonville, a, num a number of people from NAFAC, uh, and, and we kind of built the model around NAFAC. It's how we found our employees. It's how we found our work. We partnered with large businesses that we knew, um, you know, did good work uh, and needed our valuable experience and ethics. And so it's the only way that we could have gotten these opportunities. And, and we did some crazy things back in those days, right? We, you know, built eight bases in Afghanistan that we wouldn't have been able to even had the op opportunity to work on being a small, you know, at the time, 15 person firm. But, you know, we built that, uh, built those bases over Thanksgiving and through Christmas because of the needs that uh, the large business that we were partnered with at the time had and uh, we uh, eventually after those things we did major hangar renovations large national projects um, all because we we performed well in the in the small tasks that we were given sometimes and our partners ended up helping tr us uh, trust us with some of the larger ones and so you know that's something that doesn't come easy especially you know being on the large business side of it now right we, we're relying on, on a lot of our partners now as well. And so our clients, the government, and, or you know, even large AE firms uh, need to know that we do have their best interest at heart. You know, specifically in the DOD and federal in, uh, industry, we need them to succeed because uh, we need our country to succeed. So having smaller, medium-sized businesses like we are, you find out pretty much who you need to partner, that you really need to partner with others in order to, to be competitive and, and to accomplish the mission. But again, you still need to be a good partner and get the right partner. It takes, uh, it, all this takes time and, you know, all partners need to add value, whether they're small or large, and um, they need to be, they need to be fair to each other. So I think that's, that's the way my entire career has been built on is, is finding good partners and working with them throughout my entire career. And being patient, it sounds like. Absolutely, yes, sir. It, it doesn't take, it's not an overnight relationship, right? Yeah, these are relationships that are built, you know, in the in the hard times, a lot of times, right? Uh, when you're when you're down in those, I call, I call a lot of my friends battle buddies, right? That's um, right. Because, you know, we're, we're in this together and, and the AE industry, specifically for the federal government, is very unique because you know, those that are on one side of the table one day may be on the other side, maybe on your side the next. And so, uh, finding those right partners and finding who you can who, who you can trust is is key to any good standing relationship. Uh, moving into some some rapid fire questions, I know that you're a great father because we're connected on social media. But outside of the family, any current event or or uh, local community um, activity that you're heavily involved in? Yeah, so I wouldn't call it local community unless you call the world a community, but uh, I am involved in, a, in an architectural nonprofit. Uh, I have been there for 10 years. Um, I'm, I'm the, the chairman of this nonprofit. Uh, we do, uh, the name of it is Go Design Incorporated. We do a lot of work in uh, Ethiopia and Uganda. We've been over there, as I said, for about 10 years, building uh, schools, building uh, what's called the Hope Center, which is a large uh, uh, facility that has clinics and dorms for uh, children with uh, disabilities. Uh, 
over in uh, rural, very rural Ethiopia. Matter of fact, uh, the first uh, American-style toilets in this part of the world. Really? So yeah, so it's a, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a labor of love. Uh, so we we just uh, finished, or we're just kicking off a project. Uh, finished the design on doing a women's clinic in Uganda, and so we we try to you know not only design but we build and we fundraise to help uh, people on the ground there in order to to get kind of put design in the hands of of people who really are you know uh, would never see design and to really value that. Yeah, so there's capacity building, I, I imagine, as part of that in, in the local economy. Absolutely. We, one of the unique things that we've done is we've actually um, provided a block machine that, has, uh, that builds uh, using uh, natural materials there on the site and, and taught the locals exactly how to utilize this machine and actually gives them a, a, uh, a employment after we leave, right? And so... Uh, we'll build the buildings, but we'll also, it's a very, uh, you know, finding the entrepreneurs there that want to sell and build. And, and it's, it's a great opportunity uh, for us to kind of, you know, not only utilize our design chops, but uh, play in the, in the build arena and also the entrepreneurial area and find those that, that are outside that, you know, just really need a little bit of help in order to make these things work. Have you been to Uganda? I've not been to Uganda. I've been to Ethiopia about 12 times now. Oh, wow. So, uh, How did you originally get involved? So um, one of the um, uh, founders of, of Go Design is actually was one of my friend's brothers, twin brother, and he was like, you guys have to meet. You're both from SCAD. You're both architects. Um, and so uh, we ended up uh, meeting and, and hitting it off. And uh, as I said, that was about 10 years ago and been over there about 12 times since then so wow that's awesome we'll uh we'll make sure we we uh link to uh go design inc when uh we post the show uh jumping different type of questions favorite quote and why yeah so i i listened to your podcast and so i knew this was a question that was going to come and, and it's interesting because i've said this quote for probably 15 years now um, and it comes from Colin Powell, and I'll, I'll say the first part of it. It's perpetual optimism is a force multiplier. And I've used that, and, you know, this is something that's definitely aspirational in my life. I'm not always there, right? I don't always I, – I feel like I'm more of a realist. But uh, when I look this up to make sure that I got the wording exactly correct, I have never really saw the second part of this quote. And so I'm going to give you the whole thing. It says perpetual optimism is a force multiplier. I'm talking about the gung-ho attitude that says we can change things here. We can achieve awesome goals. We can be the best. Spare me the grim litany of the realist. Give me the unrealistic aspirations of an optimist any day. And so that second part really rang a note with me because, as I said, sometimes I'm the realist in the room, and uh, I really I want to be that optimist. And so uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll someday get there. I, I think you're there, and I, I mean, you know, I think that the sometimes the work requires us to be the realist. If if you're, uh, you know, go back to the developer. Uh, Absolutely. Sometimes you have to be the realist that you, you just can't 
You that's can't exactly pull anything right. for free. <laughs> but that's exactly right. I, I agree with Colin Powell. I'd rather have uh, a team of optimists figuring out how to get things done than telling me how it's impossible. That's right. Uh, must read book or most gifted book? You know, uh, one that I've read recently that, uh, you know, I, and, and I don't know, you can know how recent this is, is Daniel Pink's To Sell Us Human. Um, I don't know if you've, you've read that yet, but it, it's really, really uh, a unique spin on uh, really what I would like all of our engineers and architects to read because we are constantly selling and not in the car salesman way, right? Um, but if we want to, to do work in this industry, we, we do need to be able to, to tell people why we want to do this work and, and, and to talk about our why, to borrow from Simon Sinek, another, another great book. Um, but uh, yeah, that one, that one really struck a chord with me recently. Yeah, Dan, Daniel Pink has a lot of interesting. Uh, the first book I read by him, and I'll, I'll botch the title, was about right brain and left brain thinkers and yep. how one would take over the world. Um, and, and I think he was, he was alluding to the fact that the creative side, like the commodity side of any task is going to be taken over by somebody else because it's commoditized, but the creative problem solving and the selling and the marketing and, exactly and the real strategic side of, of that. Um, so I love Daniel Pink. Another good one for sure. Uh, dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be and what would you do? All right. So um, I would say um, my grandfather, John Chafin, who passed away when I was 10 and had a huge impact on my life in those 10 years. Uh, so uh, Johnny Cash, just because I think it would be fun to hang out with Johnny Cash, right? And Jesus, right? Uh, and so I, I think what we would do is we'd all go fishing. Um, I'm not a great fisherman, but uh, can you imagine sitting back, uh, catching up, telling stories, and having Johnny uh, tell us a few songs? And I'd probably just do a whole lot of listening that day, right? Those are those are some guys that have some experience, and so. Uh, and, and and you don't have to be that great of a fisher if uh, fisherman if you have Jesus in the boat. Yeah, he would know which side of the boat to throw it on. Right? <laughs> That's right. Um, I, I'm going to to jump a little bit here. Have you seen the the uh, series Ch The Chosen? I haven't seen that yet. No, I've um, heard great things about it, but uh, I have not seen it yet. It it really brings the life of Christ to um, to kind of reality. Pretty good. It's definitely on the list. Uh, legacy. Uh, what do you want on your tombstone, or how do you want to be remembered? Well, well, you hit on it greatly um, in this, as you said. You know, my family and my faith really shapes my worldview and everything that I do, and I, I do want to be rem remembered as a man of integrity, of uh, doing what I say, not only in business but in life, um, and and really just loving my friends and family well. As for my tombstone, you know, I, I would love it to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Uh, some days, you know, we all fall short of that. But, uh, you know, if he could look at my life and say that I, I've done what I'm supposed to do, then that would be uh, that would be plenty. Amen to that. Uh, you are a well-connected and been around for a while. Can you name somebody in the industry who inspires you and why? So, uh, you know, I, 
I think it's funny that we have these influencers now, right? And and but the people that I would describe as my influencers probably wouldn't be on uh, LinkedIn or uh, Instagram, and they're probably even too many to ma- mention. But uh, and I hate to leave anybody out, but I, I would. I, I talked about earlier having that first real architecture job and. The architect that gave me that shot right out of college was a, a, a gentleman by the name of uh, J. West Summers. And uh, Mr. Summers, as everybody called him, I mean, it didn't matter how old you were, you called him Mr. Summers. Uh, he passed away in June of 2019 at the age of 85. And so that spring, he called me kind of out of the blue. I was like, literally in a parking lot. Um, 20 years after I had left his firm, as and again, I was a lowly intern at the time, but he just called to catch up, ask about my family, and tell me how proud he was of what I accomplished, and to let me also know that he just renewed his architectural license at 85, so <laughs> crazy. Um, so I gave I me the chills. Yeah, isn't it crazy? And so I didn't know, of course, I mean, I didn't know that this was the last time I would talk to him. But looking back, I know that he did uh, and was basically telling me goodbye. And But what an amazing life well spent. You know, he, he went to Clemson for architecture and then went to the Navy, married his high school sweetheart, and they stayed married for 59 years, stayed in Orangeburg, South Carolina, and made a career out of architecture in Orangeburg, which says a lot, to be honest with you, um, but built his life around his faith, his family, and his architecture practice just steady and consistent and you never had to guess where he stood Um, and I I can honestly say that I don't know that I learned an extreme amount in the way of architecture in that office but I did learn so many life lessons there and and what a great person to emulate and that's probably my type uh, of influencer and if I can have that effect on my team and my employees after 20 years I'll, I'll I'll die a happy man. That'll be a good. That'll be a life well spent. That's awesome. Uh, how about somebody that you would recommend as a guest on the podcast? Yeah, we just uh, mentioned uh, Scott Jackson, the founder of Go Design. Uh, certainly, again, architectural nonprofit that serves the underprivileged in areas in Africa. Uh, been with him for ten years. I think it'd be really good for your audience to hear uh, how we use design in in what we would call third world countries in order to make people's lives better. I think that would be an awesome interview. We just had uh, somebody else recommend a nonprofit. And I do think that what we may take for granted as we're just executing projects on behalf of our clients, the kind of the why behind uh, architecture design and construction and infrastructure um, in the ability to to help the economy run. I mean, it's, it really, the infrastructure is the backbone of the economy and, and then the capacity building side of it in these third world countries. Uh, we would love to have, I'll, I'll reach out to you for that introduction. Absolutely. Uh, to close us, close us up. The time is yours. Any inspiration or challenge you want to, uh, push out to the industry? No, I would say that, uh, the only thing that I would say is, you know, uh, I think that this industry is at probably uh, one of the strongest points that we've ever been at right now. And we're all competing for the same talents and resources. And 
energies, but partnering is the way to work through some of these difficulties. And uh, just encourage any and everyone you know that is in the industry, if um, if you can partner with others to get the job done, especially for our DoD. Again, we we forget sometimes, you know, that not only are we building the economy, but we're building our military, sailors, soldiers, airmen, and Marines. Uh, we're helping to them, uh, and that's something that we need to kind of keep that in mind and, and focused on. Amen. Especially the way things are headed, uh, partnerships are critical. The ability to uh, to increase our capacity is going to be critical. So, I uh, I'll reiterate that public or private coopetition is the name of the game. Be a good partner, uh, and and as this this. Um, conversation started i think before we started recording it's a small industry so that's right uh, we gotta we gotta behave out there Here to serve. kevin chafin thank you so much for your time and for for being an inspiration uh to to both our public and our and and uh private clients uh thanks for your time today thanks for having me bj if you enjoy this show do us a favor and subscribe to inspiring people and places on itunes spotify or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants. To learn more about us at MCFA, our mission is to inspire people and places through project leadership in the construction and engineering industry. Check us out at www.mcfaglobal.com. Until next time, have a great week and a great weekend.